Welcome to X-Files Podcast, a podcast about breakups, broken hearts, and moving on. I'm Janice Formicella, a breakup coach passionate about supporting others to heal from their breakups, overcome loneliness, love being single, and see the end of a relationship as the beginning of a magical new chapter in life. I am here each week to share with you the tools that I have learned through my own painful breakups, through hitting rock bottom more than once, and through working with people all around the world to heal their broken hearts. If you are looking for hope and strength to move on from your breakup and resources to enjoy your new single life, you are in the right place and I've got your back. episode of X-Files, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of X-Files, Brian. It's so nice to see you. It feels like it's been a little while. Thank you, Janice. Yeah, it feels like it's been forever, but um, yeah, it's only been a few weeks then, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's fantastic to be back here talking Thank with you, you. today. I really enjoyed the last episode and I always like when we can create content together because I do think that you offered such a healthy male perspective and so I'm I was really glad that you um wanted to continue to to do this and I'm particularly excited that you wanted to do this topic. I mean I don't know about you but with my clients something I hear so often I'll often say ask people what you want to accomplish or where you what, how you want to feel in three months from now or you know what is your what are your goals and so often people say I want to find out how to I want this never to happen again <laughs> right and so that's why I think using the single time as a way to explore your patterns and using a breakup as an opportunity to look at your patterns can be so powerful because it is possible to stop a bad habit in its tracks, but you have to think about it. Yes, definitely. And I think, so, so I was married a long time, got divorced. I think dating is a skill and there's like some universal skill sets, communication, knowing what you want and all of that. But having come out of a, a long-term relationship or marriage, you're in a very different mindset. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to end up where I was last time. I, yeah. when you are 20, 25, you're dating, you're just sort of having fun, getting to know yourself, getting to know other people. But coming out of a long-term relationship or marriage, you're like, okay, how do I do it better next time? How do I be more successful next time? How do I not repeat the same mistakes? So you're coming at it with a very different mindset of okay, now what's next? How can I be better? And I think that's a super great place to approach it from. Well, yeah, and that's the the thing is it is all about approach and it is all about intentionality. Um, I know for me, after my divorce, I had just, things had just gotten so ho-hum for such a long time. And I, do, I know my frustrations with my ex-husband were just so front and center that I didn't think about how can I prevent this from happening again? I was thinking about how can I find a relationship that's more exciting and vibrant and with someone who you know, it doesn't have money hangups. And rather than thinking, how can I have a healthier relationship? And I got into a relationship with someone who gave me all of those things and who was 
worse than my ex. So um, that's why I think it's good to really outline how you can be self-reflective and um, prevent uh, getting into even a worse relationship or and learn about yourself rather than just learn about calling in someone who was different from your ex. First marriages are, are like your starter marriage, like your starter home. So uh, you know it's, it's totally fine that if it doesn't work out, you, you learn so much as long as you are open to reflecting and learning from the past, yes, whatever you did, whatever they did. Yeah. And break. that's why breakups and divorce can actually, it's a, a positive thing. I know there might be some people out there that thinks that that's kind of a dysfunctional way to, to look at it. But the fact of the matter is that we have many relationships over the course of our lifetime. And when they end, we can look at it as a, as an opportunity. We learn more from our mistakes and life is not perfect. You're never going to have no pain, no regret, whatever. And without those things, and then it's hard to feel the highs if you, if you don't feel any lows. So it's, it's good to sit with the discomfort, sit with the, the pain and go through that to realize, okay, what is it that I do need rather than just being sort of a, cause everything's relative. There's always somebody who can be happier and, or worse off, but being able to recognize and work through that, step through that into a happier place for you. I think that's fantastic. Well, and I like that you're bringing up the word regret because I definitely, something that's come up several times recently with friends and clients is a deep feeling of regret after a breakup. And because we're talking about, I mean, basically, yeah, looking looking to the past while you get ready for the future, I did think it was important and I wanted to hear from, from you about this, that, you know, focusing so much on regret. I think that we can use regret in a proactive way and we can use it in a really destructive way. For instance, I hear a lot of people saying, you know, now I've learned this thing about myself, especially with attachment styles, which we're going to talk about. And I now, or they also say, I now realize what I did. And so I want to go back and, and make it right. And I feel like that's really living in, in regret in a different way than saying, I learned what I did and I learned why I did it. And I learned why I got into the relationship in the, in the first place, because rather than focusing so much just on what happened in, in the relationship, like what happened leading up to it, that's really the only way to prevent it from happening again. Yes. And I, I think maybe in this sense, gratitude is the opposite of regret. So you can regret not doing something or regret doing something and being in mourning of what didn't happen because you didn't do or or not do that thing. But if you can look at it the opposite way, be grateful that you went through that experience, come out the other side. Now I know how I want to be different or act different or take advantage of an opportunity or say no to something. And then that gratitude helps you develop a better life and add to your, your knowledge and your ability to navigate life yes. better in the future because you went through that experience of in, that learning experience. And I, I think what you're saying is, um, which is something I actually did with someone just this week, is making a list or reflecting on what I learned rather than what I did so horribly. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. So let's talk about the importance of looking at past relationships and taking time to be single while you do. So often we don't even push pause long enough after a breakup to, to think about what happened. And I think this is especially important for people who are listening to X-Files because people push play on X-Files because they're suffering. And so to hear that some people are already trying to date again before 
thinking these things through and looking to the past is something that I'm always telling people to reconsider. Um, and also, I think it's maybe worth noting that we have healthy patterns as well. But we only only by looking at what they are, can we use them for, to our benefit. And also, I think when you've just come out of a really bad breakup and you start to meet someone new, that the best way to make an informed choice about the relationship is to know what your patterns are. And that takes time. I mean, some of the exercises that we're going to talk about can take an entire day. The one I'm going to talk about is like three weeks worth of work. And not to mention that it takes considerable time to get over your ex in the first place. So um, discovering our needs, wants, desires, deal breakers, these are all things that take time. And I also think it's hard to do when you're in the midst of a broken heart. And so letting the dust settle and then doing the work is really behooves people. <laughs> and I think that's such a great point. A lot of times, like, like I know after my divorce, I had a lot of beginner's luck through things where I wasn't doing <laughs> so great at, but knowing, like you said, what your good patterns are, which things are going well, what things aren't going so well to be able to address that. That way, you know, okay, what do, should I keep doing? What should I change? And if you don't know, then you're going to go in, keep making maybe the same beginner's luck mistakes, and then maybe really mess up and, and not realize, not understand why. So I think that's that's totally important to, like you say, take some time after a breakup, after a divorce to heal, and then also look at, okay, what, what worked, what didn't work? What should I do differently next time? Otherwise, you're just repeating that same cycle. Yeah, and some people do. I did for a really long time and I didn't even know I was doing it and it was partially because I never sat down and thought about this at all um so before we go on to actual ways to do this I know that you wanted to say something about self-compassion that I thought was really valuable to kind of preface this with yes I, I think it goes back to the regret versus um gratitude and we think like society tells us relationship and marriage is the ultimate goal and happily ever after. And if you're not in one, then there's something wrong with you. Why are you still single? All of this <laughs> and that. So we think that, and then just everybody talks about divorce. Oh, 50% in marriage is in a divorce. Like it's, you know, it goes against the societal standard of you need to be in a relationship. So we think we're a failure somehow or the, the marriage ended, the marriage failed. I don't see marriages ending as a failure. I see, good marriages don't end. And for me, the f no judgment, but like a bigger failure is to be with somebody for 20, 50 years, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and you're not happy and you're living a life that's not happy. You're giving your kids, if you have kids, a not so great example of life, trying not to rock the boat or not to, you know, trying to please other people, make other people happy. How can they be happy if you're not happy in that relationship? So for me, Maybe that's that's just our new new age society. Like maybe it's selfish to some people, mm -hmm. but our own. I think we do need to prioritize our own happiness and our own needs in life because for me that's what life is about. Not being born and then learning how to be a cog in the machine and then fulfill everybody else's needs and and wants for you. If everybody's people pleasing for everybody else, who's actually happy? Because we're all worried about somebody else all the time. Yeah, I always say that if you put yourself first, everything else falls into place. And I so believe yes. that. 
And okay. uh, before we go on, I, I really want to point out what you said, and I want everyone to hear that good marriages don't end. I believe that with all of my heart. And I, I had a little ooh, moment when you said that, because it's just, it's absolutely true. And functional relationships don't end in, in breakups. It's just, it's just an, like a literal fact. So <laughs> thank you for and pointing my, that out. Yeah. After my marriage in it, I had to it was the right thing to do, but it, it also helped me a lot because I knew for my kids who were teenagers at other at opposite ends of like the teenage spectrum, but giving them a good example of knowing yourself and healthy relationships, healthy communication, if it's not working, working through that in a healthy way to still be amicable, still set a good example for the kids. And then even after that, just the relationships I've had with different women, being able to tell them what's going on and why something worked or didn't work and set a good example so that they know going into relationships that they're forming as teenagers, as you know, people in their 20s, that they have a right to happiness. They have a right to be treated with respect and they should know communication and know how to advocate for their own needs. So if I myself can't set a good example, how do I expect them to form healthy relationships for themselves in the future? I mean, seriously, I'm looking for my pin because I think we should do an episode on talking to your kids about breakups. Oh, and so, yeah, I'm going to have you and my friend Katie from Co-Parenting Peacefully come on. And I think we can do a little panel awesome. panel discussion that I will just lead because I don't know shit about that. So <laughs> no, I, I have some insight, but oh yeah. Thank you so much for pointing all of that out. So do we want to talk about uh, how to reflect on your patterns, your relationship yes. patterns? I like so to be as practical as possible on X-Files. So let's put it into actual terms. How do we do this? Yes. So for me personally, um, after my divorce, I started seeing a therapist for about three or four months just to make sure I was processing everything in a healthy way and being able to manage and, and deal with the situation for myself and then the co-parenting situation, dealing with my ex-wife in a healthy way. So that was very important for me. And then I had that relationship. So two or three times later after other breakups over the, the years following that, I would go back and check in just to have somebody to talk to. I think that was really good Brilliant. for at least have, having somebody to bounce things off of and talk to and process emotions in a healthy way. I wouldn't say I was able to look at my relationship patterns without knowing I, that's what I wanted to talk about. So that's where it took a little bit of self-awareness and self-actualization to get to the point of knowing, okay, this is something I want to talk about. So for me, um, after my first serious long-term relationship after my marriage, was about a year and eight months or so. Um, but about a year into that relationship, I, I had been listening to podcasts and you know doing personal improvement and all that. There was an interview with um, Dr. Robert Glover. I listened to two or three times because it really resonated with me. He is a, a therapist, psychologist, I guess. Um, but he wrote the book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. And hearing the interview, it really resonated with me. Listened to it a few times, bought the book. So my first step was realizing that I needed to acknowledge my own feelings and needs in a relationship, things that I wanted. Um, not only being in a, a marriage, head of household, but also when you have kids, what do you want to do? Where do you want to eat? What do you want for dessert? It's all about making everyone else happy. So that kind of compounded everything that went into that. But being able to realize I have needs, I have wants, there's things I want to do or things I want to eat, whatever that is, and prioritize those over 
avoiding rocking the boat and pleasing the other person. And, and I want to be very specific. I, I think it's the unconscious contract. I want to make you happy. I want to please you, but it's not necessarily their happiness. So yeah, just, I just want to make that distinction this. very clear. You're not making them happy. You are, you are somehow trying to please them in hopes that they will please you back or, or yep. keep the relationship happy, whatever it is. Um, so that was the first step. But it took some work, some therapy, some some ups and downs with my girlfriend at the time, some some pitfalls um, that I went through, some some bad things that I did to get to the point where, okay, now that I realize I have these needs, my second step is I have to be able to communicate them in a healthy way and, and discuss them. So those were two major big things that I went through to get to the point where, okay, there's a lot more to this than just being a good boyfriend and fulfilling, you know, the, the checkpoints of taking her out and getting her flowers or whatever. So after <laughs> yeah. that, after that relationship, um, after a few months, I was thinking, I kind of want to get back together with her. Did I make a mistake? Are the problems that I saw as the reason I wanted to break up with her and, and not be in that relationship? Am I past those? So I started to have those regrets. And then I, I wasn't really, as a guy, we don't really journal. We don't really think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I sort of created my own journal exercise or this relationship inventory to understand, like, is this the right thing to do? If I reach out to her, which I did in a very, not a very uh, good way and uh, all that's kind of embarrassing. We've all been there. We've, We've all been, been there. there. But I, <laughs> I came up with this list of, okay, how do I look back at our relationship? What was good about it? What didn't work? Why did we break up? What were my issues? Am I past those issues? Would it work if we tried again? And so that was my own kind of backstory for creating my own relationship inventory. I've morphed it a little bit since then, but basically it's it just reflecting on, on what happened and what did I learn? What could I do differently? And just coming at it rather than, um, Oh, it didn't work. I don't know why, but maybe it'll work better next time and in, in going awesome. into the future blind. Mm -hmm. It's just a way to, um, self-reflect like we talked about and, and be accountable and and just aware of of our own tendencies and patterns and all that I like what you I, I love this for sure and I like what you said about men not journaling as much it, it you know I think is seen as a I guess a feminine thing but what stood out to me is I have lots of male clients and just so everyone knows I <laughs> people often reach out and say I know you probably only see women but not at all. It's probably 50-50. And I love working with my male clients because I find that so often they are, they think so critically when they do the journaling exercises and it really warms my heart. So I love that you developed this. Could you tell me more about like think critically? Are they critical yeah. of themselves or they start to get super deep because yes, they've never done it before? Yes, more deeper and more analytical for sure than I see some of my female clients being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, th yeah. I think I think that makes sense. Like, oh, here's a problem. Let me I was just pick it apart, say, analyze it, yes. and how do I overcome this problem? Totally. I'm sometimes sitting there with a client during a session, and he's just going after you know page after page. And I'm like, Damn. Oh wow, wow. Yeah, uh huh. It's beautiful. Yeah, I, so, I think men we we think about things a lot, but just like the putting it on paper or typing it out is, is kind of foreign to us, or like a 
not something we're used to. Yeah. But I, I think, I don't know how many, but a lot of us do, like in our commute or when we're working out or whatever, we might think through things to some extent or another, but um, yeah. Well, that's actually how I first started learning about my own patterns before I became a full-blown coach. I had just years and years and years of chaotic relationships, relationships that ended horribly, <laughs> which I'm even like embarrassed to admit. And just, you know, I kind of did this for years. It was just kind of putting out one fire after another. And after my last one in Australia with Laundry Boy, who I don't think I've mentioned in a while, but <laughs> listeners may be familiar with. Was I, he, was he? I just have to ask, was that because he was dirty or was there a laundry so, room? So yeah, so story, I, I think that it's really healthy after a relationship ends to think really deeply about what didn't work in, in the relationship and what you didn't like. And so one of the first things that I wrote on my list about this particular relationship is it really drove me nuts how different he was with his preferences around clean clothes he would rewear shirts all the time he just like would not wash things very regularly I you know told this story to Jackie a couple weeks ago how I was I took a shower at his place one time and he just like handed me a dirty towel that had been hanging on the on the wall that I knew other people had used and I when I asked for a clean towel he was like it's dry like what, what's your problem and yeah like I said he'd wear shirts you know two three days days in a row and it, I just really drove me crazy I thought it was weird and so when I was making my list that yeah that was one of the first things I put down and I don't I kind of find it fun to use nicknames from my exes yeah. rather than people's real names. Yeah. <laughs> so and when you started yes, to get he's into forever that, known as Laundry Boy. <laughs> I love that story. When you started to get into that, I thought you were going to say it's really healthy after a breakup to give them a cute nickname. Oh, <laughs> if you went into the analyze what went well and went wrong, went wrong in the relationship, both of those. But yeah, I love the nickname. I mean, that is helpful actually. I did after I left my abusive relationship. I had a counselor say encourage me to maybe pick a pick a, a nickname or, or a moniker for the person uh but no that what that wasn't my intent it was just yeah. it was also a significant relationship to me even though it had been relatively short and so he's come up often on the show so i felt compelled to give him a give him a nickname yeah. um, but after that all went down i just my life was still in chaos and i didn't really do much reflection i was just kind of in survival mode and then when that dust settled I started going on the long walks and we're talking long hours long. I miles and miles and miles a day. I didn't have a job at the time and it felt good. And I started just thinking so much about my life. And somehow I started thinking all the way back to my marriage and why I got into my marriage and then each relationship after I, every time I would walk, I would think about these things. And that was how I first had the, aha moment of my patterns and how I always move fast with men and how I get caught up in the excitement of things and how it's not sustainable. And even though I had had so many relationships that started so quickly, I never recognized that as a pattern that I had. So that was, that was useful for me. And that's one reason I encourage people when you're able to think clearly after a breakup, that walking can be useful. 
Yeah, because you you're walking, you're on autopilot, and you don't have distractions of the fridge and the TV yes, and the email yes. and the different screens and everything mm-hmm. going off. You're just walking outside, back with nature, feet on the ground, and then it gives your mind time, space to to think. It's like when you're in the shower, you're just yeah, things got nothing else to do. You can't check your email in there. So yeah. So today, though, I use a relationship inventory that is from the book Getting Past Your Breakup by Susan Susan J. Elliott, which is probably one of my favorite books about breakups. She really is in line with my philosophy around no contact and thinking about your past and like completely moving on. So I I just have to jump in and say my therapist after my divorce, that was the book she recommended. It's not it's not super trauma and therapy it's just a very practical guide for mm-hmm. somebody who's it's where it's not super serious but you still want, want a little bit of help how to how to manage that i think that's a great book me too i was so stoked when i read i've actually read it twice and so with clients who really want to invest time and who are super committed I have them do her relationship inventory, which I have here. And so I just want to, oh, and also give a plug for my coaching. If anyone wants to go through this with a guide and someone to hold you accountable and to be there when it gets rough, please reach out to me on Instagram. This takes um, a lot of writing and self-reflection and about a month to do (laughs) start to finish. So with my three month clients, if they are really desperate to learn about themselves, I encourage them to do this. First, she has 13 questions about your last relationship. They range from everything from uh, make a list of things that your friends and family liked about your ex. Were they the same things you liked about your ex? Make a list of all of your ex's negative qualities. Focus on aspects of your ex that you really disliked and wanted to change. What would write down the five most hurtful incidents in your relationship? What was done? What was said? Was there an apology or reassurance that it would never happen again? Did it happen again? Were there apologies and promises made and not kept? So there's 13 questions here that you that you take a week or two to complete. So it's intense and it's definitely a big undertaking. And then you take a three week, oh, three weeks, <laughs> three day break. And then during the break, you just kind of chill. And then you come back to it after the three week break and look at your lists and then write out what stands out to you. Then you do another list, <laughs> how you feel about losing the positive things, how you feel about losing the negative things everything you want to say sorry for, significant statements about the relationship. There's eight of these. So like I keep on saying, it's intense. And then once you've identified all of that, then you get to write your letter uh, to your ex and then put a like finality around around it. And then you get to talk to your coach about what you learned. (laughs) Yes, yes. So so on my website, I did an article in a like a step-by-step like an inventory it's one of my most popular articles on my page um but for me it was it was sort of about closure and gratitude and lesson for moving on sounds like that one is very much also about closure giving yourself closure and moving on although you, you sort of have to look at maybe not just one unless it was a marriage but like different relationships to see patterns but I, I think this is great for both patterns and closure and learning lessons to continue or or to to not continue doing in the future. 
I think you're bringing up a really good point that I suppose I hadn't fully realized is that it is good to compare this with also other relationships. At, at the same time, you're going to learn a lot about yourself and the relationship and things that you're going to want to avoid in, in the future. So if anyone wants more info on that, check out the book or hit me up for some coaching. So another way to do it is something that it sounds similar to what you had done before. And this had come up in my last episode, which was with Sarah Mack, friend of ours. And it was map of relationships, basically getting a big piece of paper or a Google doc, because you're going to need more than just one sheet. It's you're going to need lots of space with this and then write out each of your significant relationships. So not necessarily by time, but by, yeah, like I said, significance. I mean, I've dated a lot of people in my life, (laughs) but I can probably close my eyes and think of four or five that really stood out to me as big deals. And that like left a imprint on me. For instance, Laundry Boy, we only dated for short amount of time, less than six months, but it was, it was a big deal to me. And so he'd go on there, but I've had other relationships of that length that (laughs) I definitely barely think about. And then under each name, right? The pros of the relationship, the cons of the relationship, why you were attracted to this person in the first place. This is big for me because I go with the sexual attraction a lot. (laughs) And then I like this and tell me what you think. Sarah suggested a few notes or paragraphs about how you were feeling in the days or weeks leading up to meeting this person and then starting a relationship with them. I like that because sometimes we, we aren't looking at the bigger picture. And if your pattern is it's like going to the grocery store when you're hungry. Why do I always end up with trying bags of chips or cookies? If you <laughs> yes. end up in certain kinds of relationships because you don't give enough time to heal or it's been two years and you feel kind of desperate and then the first person who looks your way is, oh my God, and then you're, you're together for six months. So looking at the context around that situation and not just the details of within the relationship, I think is is a very good idea. Yeah, I was impressed by that. Do you think there's other things that are useful to to compare across relationships? Um, yeah, definitely. I think even when it comes to type, like if it's the looks or the personality, um, there can be different things. Personality kind of leads into how you feel in the relationship, how they make you feel. If you can look across the different relationships, did I always feel confused, anxious? loved, cared for, seen, respected? Did I feel like I had to compete for their attention or their love or different sorts of things? So I think it's, it's, those are what really matters as far as looking at patterns and breaking those patterns. Because if you go through relationships and not feeling secure, you're not feeling loved, you're feeling like you have to win their love because it's, you have to earn it. You know, those aren't necessarily good things for long term because you're always going to be your your autonomic nerve nervous system is going to be always in that fight or flight freeze fawn mode of well they love me today what do i have to do and, and you have that constant stress and cortisol running through and it's just not good for your health so if you can identify those kinds of things and say you know what 
those, I thought there were good relationships, but I was always stressed out because I didn't know where we stood or they were hot and cold all the time. Yeah. I don't want to feel like that anymore. So what do I have to do? How do I identify somebody who's not going to treat me that way or make me feel that way? I think some other things are for me coming out of my relationship, the, the one I mentioned that the, the inventory for. I had some insecurities. She had some insecurities and those sometimes clashed a little bit. Insecurities, issues, just identifying those. And if you can identify issues that all of your partners had or that you had through all of those relationships, if you have an insecurity about XYZ, okay, do you work with a, a coach? Do you work on your own? Do you work with a therapist to get past that insecurity so you don't run into those issues anymore? Yeah. So those are super important things, I think, to look at and even just what did I learn from each of those relationships? Did I learn nothing and I just ended up in the same pattern or did I learn this thing from that one? Oh, wait. And then I didn't do that anymore in the next one. And then I learned this in the next one. And you can also be grateful for those experiences, those memories, and then the lessons you learned through those because each relationship you were able to show up in a healthier way, have better communication, better boundaries or not. And then you can see where your progress is and what you still need to work on. Which is definitely what we're trying to accomplish with X-Files and with this episode. Um, I wonder if we can talk for just a moment about type, because we did not put this on our outline. And it's just, it's kind of staring me in the face now that this was maybe something that is worth exploring. I definitely have had a a type. I don't need to go into what it is. But I know one of a really popular dating advice right now is that I certainly subscribe to is pushing yourself to date outside of your type and seeing if that helps and seeing what that can open up for you. And I've done it recently and with great success. And so I'm wondering, like, what do you have to say about that? How do you identify your type? And what would you say to someone who just says they're not my type. So, and moves on. Yeah. Great question. I think what you were talking about looking at like your past four or five relationships or years, whatever that is, what similarities are there? Are they looks wise? Are they all similar height, similar hair color, ethnicity, personality, job type? With tattoos and facial hair. (laughs) There you go. There you go. So that can be, they can be any ethnicity, but they can be like that personality or that archetype, or it might be somebody dates lawyers or doctors or engineers or whatever, or creative types. So whatever that type is, once you see that pattern, it's like, okay, what am I drawn to about that type? And is it your bad boy creative and tattoos? Is yeah. it the rebelliousness? What, what are the good parts about that? And what's, mm-hmm. what are, what is serving you in that? But are there any parts of that that aren't serving you? Maybe some of the personalities are good, some are not. So what are the pieces you can pick apart and then identify, okay, what's good? What should I continue to search for? Even within that type, are there areas where I should avoid, oh, if they act this way or if they have this kind of attitude or this kind of belief, that's a big red flag that other parts are probably going to be not so good. For me, type might be, especially on dating apps, if you're swiping, all you see is like the look. So you're sort of, if you have a type, it's very easy to fall into that. But if we meet people in real life, through you know friends and just being out and about sometimes it, it gets past what 
we think our type is because we connect with that personality and you see this Netflix love is blind, all this kind of stuff, where if you get past like the visual looks like that front door, there's a lot more to people that we see, especially as men, I'm sure women are very visual too, but I think getting past that type that we think it is and seeing, okay, what, what is also important besides just being visually pleased you know, that first few weeks or months, because 10 years down the road, you're not going to look the same, probably. True. So yeah, I guess two things I'd say is getting to know someone first. And I do think this is useful, becoming friends sometimes or meeting out in the wild and being, being curious and seeing if you develop a relationship with this person where you can, you just have a really, really great conversation I think is just as good of an indication as whether you feel immediate sexual attraction. And on the apps, my rule is if it's a maybe on an app because they have a good bio and the pic, but the pictures are a maybe, I say swipe. You, are, I've heard so many coaches specifically say that their best relationships came when they decided to date someone who was a little bit outside their type. So yes, and not everybody takes great pictures. Not everybody. I, I found in many, many cases where people, women I've got on dates with, oftentimes they look a lot better than the pictures because a lot of times like the the camera, it kind of flattens your face or the funny angle. And when you see somebody in three dimensions and you see them smile and, and you're having a conversation, they everybody looks a lot more attractive because they're alive versus this you know, moment in time. Um, I think that there, there are video dating, there's apps that have like heartstring that has like video profiles where you get a better picture of somebody than just some moment in time, which may not have been their best moment, especially men, like women who date men or anybody who dates men, a lot of men don't have great pictures anyway. Yeah, so I love so that. True. I was just helping a friend with a profile this week and it was seriously all selfies <laughs> and I was like, no, no, <laughs> but he didn't know. And you know, yeah. men feel a little more awkward asking someone to take their picture than women yeah. do, but I want to continue on, on you were talking about dating outside your type. So Amy Chan, she's an author. She does breakup bootcamp. Her book is breakup bootcamp. I love what she says. Like she coined the, the term, your chemistry compass. And if your type, so just what we were talking about, if your type is not serving you, date outside of your type. So re, re, what is it? Uh, like recalibrate your chemistry compass. Take, take a month, take three months and date people that aren't your type to just sort of recalibrate. And she said that, I think it's her current partner. At first she wasn't really attracted to him because he wasn't her type, which wasn't serving her for many years. But after three or four dates, she, she kind of looked up and said, wait a second, this guy is really great. He's really attractive. And so she went from these unhealthy attachment, kind of avoidant, anxious dynamic, um, trying to make up for a, a father who maybe didn't show her a lot of love and she got perfect grades or this or that, trying to win over somebody and that never having worked out to, to somebody who was just liked her for her and wanted to see her and she didn't have to work for his attention or his love. So I think there is a way if your type is not serving you, date outside your type, people you would normally swipe on. And in this data collection, anyway, what's what's a couple of drinks or coffee or dinner? I mm -hmm. mean, unless, unless you've got like six months to live, which you should be doing more than just dating anyway, um, you have time to kind of collect data and and see see what's out there. 
That's I think true. people put so much pressure on, oh, well, if they're not going to be my my husband or my wife in, in two years, I don't want to waste my time. Well, if you are trying to break patterns and figure right. out what it is and, and, and change your, your outcome, then you do need to take some time to trial and error and see what it is, see what else is out there. And, and is there anything different you could be doing, different types of people you could be talking to? Yes. And I think sometimes we only go for people who are our type perhaps physically, because of the the excitement that leads us to want to have a second date. And it, and again, I think it's much more about the about respect and conversation rather than I can't wait to be in bed with this person. Yeah, it's that safety, <laughs> that comfort zone. And if you're yeah. outside your comfort zone, it's like there's lots of unknowns. At least if you're dating your type or somebody who makes you feel as anxious or whatever is, is in the past, that's comfortable, it's familiar even though it may not be healthy for you in the long run. Yep. So everyone take note. So let's talk about if somebody's doing these exercises on their own, but sometimes it's hard to be objective about yourself. And you've talked about your coaching programs, your three months programs. Uh, we've talked about therapy, but sometimes we, it's hard to be objective about ourselves and see our own patterns if we don't. So how do you work with people? Or how do you suggest people get help to be more objective about themselves? Well, I think taking a lot of time, first of all, and not trying to do it when you're in the midst of your breakup is really useful. And this is why I, th I think for me, I never had done this before a couple of years ago. And Laundry Boy was the perfect example. When we broke up, it was very destructive in lots of ways. There was all this overlap between friends and the company I was working for and him. And so it was messy as hell when, when it all came crashing down. And so I definitely played kind of this victim and I was able to just blame all of these external circumstances, but it wasn't until a couple months later. And this is what I think people need to ask themselves. Why did I get into the relationship in the first place? Not, I mean, what happened inside of the relationship is important, but considering that is that's really what, what we want to pinpoint, I think, is what led me to want to be committed to this person. And that was such an aha moment for me, realizing that I wanted excitement, realizing that I wanted a protector because of everything that was going on in my life, realizing that it was comforting to me to have someone to, to go home to, and also realizing that the physical attraction what I was completely <laughs> let myself be controlled by that. And so that's one way that I think, I think people can do that. But also I wanted to ask you about this because I think I want to keep making this distinction between what our role was in the breakup and our patterns overall, like years back, because I think sometimes people get so caught up in the regret that they're, they're not objective at all. It can be like on both sides of the spectrum. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, you need to come out of that mourning place and be be healed enough to be thankful for the relationship and not still in, in mourning and, and wishing you could go back or be in regret or blaming yourself and then knowing what you learn from the relationship. But yeah, sometimes it is hard to be objective because it's so easy when you're in that hurt place to blame everything on them and not take any sort of accountability for your own role in that. So it's hard to see 
because the common denominator in the last five years, the last four or five relationships is you and the choices you've made. That doesn't mean we're blaming people for any sort of abuse or trauma they've experienced. That being said, we continue to fulfill our attachment styles, our pick people who feel familiar, make us feel a familiar way as we did growing up, whether that's healthy or unhealthy. So again, not victim blaming, but in order to correct, course correct any sort of pattern we keep repeating, we have to step back and see, okay, what need or what feeling was I going after in in focusing my energy on this person who was not good for me? Okay, is that something I need to work with a therapist on? Me not feeling worthy of love, so feeling like I deserved somebody who was hot and cold or treated me nice one day and then wouldn't call me for a week or whatever it is. So realizing that, yes, we do play a part. And if we want to change that, we have to step back and work on whatever that might be. I'm glad that you're bringing up the victim blaming because I actually had to even look really critically at my abusive relationship and and just realize that the, the same reason existed. I wanted the excitement. I'd go for the excitement in new relationships. And he offered me that. And that was a big part, a big draw for me. And, but it was, I felt powerful when I realized that I had this, this pattern. Nobody makes you treat someone horribly and, you know, I didn't make him be abusive, but it, I appreciated knowing that, that I do this. <laughs> yes, definitely. And it's like you said, it's not, you don't control their actions. It's not your yes. fault for them treating you that way, mm-hmm. but it is empowering once we know, oh, I am accountable for how I show up or who I continue to allow to be in my life. And then knowing that, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. And that's super empowering to know that you can make that change now that you have that knowledge. Yep. And what do you, how did you find that working with a therapist helped you? For me, it was just, and I think this is the the misconception or just kind of assumption people have about therapy that have never been. Like you go and they they fix everything. They tell you all the answers. They're there to ask the right question, sort of like coaching. They're there to ask the right question. The answers are inside of you. They have a lot of insight because they've seen a lot of situations, worked with a lot of clients, done a lot of training and know how minds work and biochemistry works and all of that um, to help identify these. But the like the answers are usually within us. So they don't know our life or experiences. They only know the words we tell them and how we tell them and the body language when we're telling them these things. But they, it's like a Sherpa. It's like a guide helping you through this process. Um, and so you can only get as much out of it as you put into it. For me, it was just, I think I would have been probably okay, almost as okay without going to therapy, but it was a nice time to just go and not have to be perfect, not have to be the strong one for the ex-wife and the kids and just let someone else know, I I feel sad this week, or this is why I feel disappointed in myself for letting them down. And just kind of getting that positive feedback in a place where you don't have to be the strong and kind of put together person for an hour, you know, every week or every other week. So I think that's what for me was the the nice part is just to relax and look at myself without the expectation of, well, you got to be strong. You got to have your shit together. Well, so yeah. sometimes we don't, and it's okay to let your guard down and, and work through those things. So next week you can 
be strong, but kind of from a stronger place. And I think this is also why it helps to get outside support. Friends and family are in it. And so it's really hard for them to be objective and to point things out to you that you didn't realize before because they're so fully ingrained in it. And that was one of the reasons I wanted so badly to be a breakup coach is because I found that the people around me were, were doing that and that everything that they were saying yes. to me was no, yes, they'll, they'll back you up. They'll call your ex crazy <laughs> yes. and it's all their fault. And you don't really get much from that if it's just kind of piling on and not uh, not being objective about it. But as part as we, we, we talked about this earlier and it, it sort of came up, but one of the biggest patterns we end up repeating is our attachment style. And yes, so topic right now. there's lots of patterns that we do kind of in the details in the weeds. But one of the biggest patterns it, it's great to be self-aware of and to know so you can manage that is your attachment style. So um, there's secure attachment, yep. there's anxious attachment, there's avoidant attachment. And then depending on the person, there's a like fearful avoidant yeah. or like anxious avoidant. So there's like a fourth, um, but these are all basically how we show up in relationships and how we are programming from when we were, when we were babies our assumptions about will we be loved? Will they come back to us and show us the attention and love we need? And whether we believe because our parents did or did not show us in a timely manner when we were crying for help. So these show up because we 90, 95% of our thoughts, our behavior day to day is like on autopilot, the same as a previous day. Mm -hmm. You can be driving for half an hour, have a conversation, not really think about all of the things that, that go into stepping on the gas, the brake and all that, you're on autopilot having this conversation. So that shows up in relationships as, as well. Just our subconscious programming of this is how they're treating. And I'm going to make up this story. They haven't texted in two days. Oh my God, he must, she must be talking to someone else or be mm -hmm. cheating on me or not like me anymore. Maybe I need to send them a message or make sure they feel like they know that I love them or I'm, I'm still into them or they're, they're texting way too much. They texted me yesterday. Now they text me again today. I need my space, whatever, what is this? And so just knowing your attachment style allows you to first understand why certain feelings are coming up mm -hmm. and then be able to adapt to those because people think you're one or the other or the other. And when you take the quiz, there's lots of quizzes, but you'll realize, Oh, I'm, 65% this, 32% yes. that, and it might show up differently from person to person because they, how you are interacting with them will mm -hmm. pull out different parts of you, make you feel more secure, more anxious, more avoidant um, at any given time. But being able to understand those, and then if you don't want to keep repeating the pattern of, of ending up in relationships that don't go anywhere, you need to be able to be aware of your own tendencies and communicate those to feel secure in this relationship from with you. I need this or this. I need more space. I need more connection. I need more communication and be able to navigate that. And then the last thing I'll say before I hand it over is people get it in their mind that I'm insecure attachment. So I'm doomed or I'm yeah, always going to end up with you. an anxious or an avoidant. And then it's mm -hmm. never going to work. And it's sort of like this all or nothing where again, we have different proportions of secure, anxious, avoidant, and all of that, that can change over time, being with somebody more secure or being, making yourself and the other person feel more secure, even though you're anxious, avoidant, you can come to be more secure despite these 
kind of subconscious tendencies you may have. So you're not doomed. You just need to be aware of what they are and be able to manage those. It's like having an analogy. I'm, I'm allergic to gluten. I'm allergic to asparagus. Okay. So I can't have asparagus when you cook dinner or when we go to a restaurant, I have to yes. avoid that and then I'm fine. So it's just something mm. to deal with, not something that's going to ruin your life or doom you to uh, forever alone. Yeah. As a gluten, happily gluten-free individual, I can assure <laughs> you that it took it's a- It's something you manage. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And something, I mean, I think it's better now. I really appreciate that you're saying all of this. There are increasingly more resources online of, as to how to become more secure. And I am so thankful for that because I thought that was missing from the early discussion around attachment and my resource that I always suggest is this book right here. You can see it's well-loved. I was going to say, this is a podcast. Oh, yeah. can't see. <laughs> They're listening in the car. <laughs> True. <laughs> I can see the book, but they can't. <laughs> I'm, I have air quotes now. Um, so what I'm holding up right now is Polysecure by Jessica Fern. And I really want to assure everybody that it, it, it applies to monogamous and non-monogamous non individuals. And what I love so much about it is her focus on once you learn these things about yourself, if you do have one of these quote unquote insecure styles, what you can do to become more secure and how you can learn to self-soothe and how you can take responsibility for your actions rather than just deciding that this is you know encoded on you. And so I, I really like her approach. So everyone go and check that out. And that brings me, I guess, to the next topic, which is what can you do once you have all, all of this knowledge? I think sometimes it's really easy to fall into this trap of, oh, shit, I never knew I was this way and I'm just this way. And, you know, darn. And hopefully my next partner will be will be cool with it especially when it comes to, I think, something like anxious attachment style. I think people's kind of almost take it on as an identity, but you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a great point. I think um, for me and, and what I teach people, what I help people with is step one, being self-aware. And step two, what do you do with that self-awareness? So if you, your tendency, your pattern is to wait for them to always text first, wait for them to DTR, and then you end up in three months, six month situationships. <laughs> Date people who are in other cities two hours away where you have a safe buffer. Like, what are those tendencies you have? And then how do you work past them? So, if, if you're always waiting for them to text and that's not serving you, why can't you text first? So, sort of go in the other way, even if it's the extreme opposite side of the pendulum swing, try that and then. Maybe that doesn't work for you. That doesn't feel comfortable. Maybe it will feel comfortable over time, but then you'll find that comfortable middle ground where it is starting to work, where there is healthier communication or where there is a better understanding of your boundaries and what you want. And knowing that, oh, I don't want to feel such and such way, then you can cut that off after two weeks or communicate about it and see how they respond after two weeks rather than waiting three months in and feeling like crap because you're in a relationship, which should make you happy, but you're still feeling anxious or feel like you're you're having to earn their love. So what you do with that is, okay, analyzing that, knowing in the moment, okay, this is what's coming up for me. This is what's happening. 
normally I would do, normally I would go down this path, but I'm going to take the other path this time instead of waiting for them to text or instead of waiting for them to bring it up, I'm going to have that conversation with them and see what happens. And so just finding your footing, finding your path, maybe you mess up again, but maybe you mess up and that's a learning example. And then you find where your comfort zone is in the middle of how do I deal with this issue? I, it hasn't been working in, in the past, you know, these four relationships, these five years, but I can try it this way and see how it goes. And not just taking that one, oh, I, I did it this way and it didn't work. You got to keep doing it. And maybe that's just not your person, but you learned and you got the comfort level and the confidence to bring up how you feel or what your needs are, or that you do need more or less communication or more free time or more connected time. So being able to speak up for your needs is going to serve you in the long run anyway. So that self-awareness and ownership of your own needs and your own desires, your own happiness in the relationship. Yeah, I, I that's wonderful, and I think this is why it's it is it can be important and useful to identify our attachment tendencies, so that we know how to course correct. You know, lots of the resources give tips on how to become more secure based on your attachment style. For instance, what I'm loving is so many resources for anxious attached tendencies to learn about self soothing. This is something that people don't are not taught growing up and this can catch this can keep people trapped in identifying with with being anxious and likewise uh, you know avoidance how can you welcome more intimacy into your life by little things i know that the two of us are both secure with a dash of avoidance from what i remember <laughs> and so, and for me you know i've totally done this i'm not i, I have a tendency to not really want to initiate conversation with the person I'm seeing um, or be the one to suggest that we go on a date. And so I've pushed myself recently, you know, some, if I want to share something with someone I'm seeing, just going for it, you know, and I, it, it makes a big difference, but it was because of this knowledge that I knew where I could maybe push myself. Yeah. I love that. I, I think that unconscious programming, we, unconscious programming that we have is an assumption that if we behave a certain way, we'll get that certain outcome. And if we don't behave that way, then we're going to mess up the outcome. So if we are anxious or avoidant and we speak up or we let them get too close, then the outcome we want is going to disappear. So by texting first or asking for the date or communicating what that is and seeing that things don't blow up, we start to become more comfortable, more secure in that. Um, I love what you said about that, the, the self-soothing. And an example might be they haven't uh, texted in two days after the date. And you're, what's, what's your normal pattern? Is your normal pattern to walk away, ghost them, just kind of say, oh, they don't care. If he wanted to, he would. And he hasn't texted me. Well, you don't know what's happened. He could have ADHD and forgot and it would be super busy at work. He could have had something come up with his family. Um, and this whatever story you're building up in your head, you have to think, is that true or not? What could what else could be true? He could still like me and maybe he didn't think I had a great time. So he didn't want to be too pushy or text me too much because in the past, maybe everyday texts were too much for somebody and he got called clingy or needy. And so he's trying to course correct. So if you, if you make assumptions, you're, you know what happens when you make assumptions. So yeah. being able to communicate, Hey, I, I had a great time. I would love, can't wait to see you again. That's a simple text to send, or it's been a few weeks. 
I love getting to know you on these dates, but it's only once a week. So it would really help me yeah. feel more uh, comfortable or more, um, more engaged with you. If we, even if it's a hello or a, a funny meme every other day, it would be great to hear from you in between the dates. And then you could give them the opportunity to step up to what your need might be, communicate why they can't do that or, or haven't been doing that, but want to, or say, oh, no, that's too much for me. I'm just not looking for something else. So giving yourself the chance to take a proactive role in what it is you want, rather than being in the backseat of just taking whatever somebody else's may or may not give you. Yeah, which is, I think, exactly what happens when we start to identify with our attachment styles is that we actually completely lose control, you know, even for someone who has a bit of avoidance. If you want intimacy with this person, but you're avoiding reaching out because of whatever you think is going to happen, then you're completely giving up any power that you have at all over playing a part in, in the evolution of the relationship. Yes, it, it's like like we talked about, you have to be self-aware and then take action on it. You don't use the self-awareness to say, oh, I'm anxious, so I'm out and just use that as, as an excuse, mm -hmm. like with astrology, oh, I'm a Gemini, yeah. I'm a Sagittarius or whatever. Okay, but you still have to, if you want a different result, you're still going to have to take accountability and be proactive in going after what it is you want. Yeah, and I, I think it's not just about I'm anxious and so therefore I can't date and avoid. So we are going to pause for a quick commercial break, as quick as I can make it. And then we're going to come back and talk about mindset and how to adjust our mindset and beliefs. So see you in a minute. X-Files allows me the chance to make an impact that means so, so much to me. It is thrilling to support people all over the world to heal their hearts. And having Anchor has made it easier and more fun than I ever thought it would be. It is really such a blessing. If you have something you would like to share with the world through a podcast, I highly recommend them. If you haven't heard, Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast and allows you to monetize from the very beginning. Download the app today and start sharing your unique message with the world. Happy podcasting! Nothing shatters your life like a breakup, and the pain of a broken heart is real. I know that it seems impossible right now, but there is hope, and there are ways to heal. I would love to work with you one-on-one -on -one to heal your broken heart and put your breakup behind you. My personalized coaching programs are designed to pinpoint what will be most effective in helping you to move forward and make this breakup a part of your past. I believe in you. Message me at xfilespodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at xfilespodcast and let's connect about creating a magical plan of action for you to enter 2023 with this breakup in your rearview mirror. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening to my little ads there. I love that you wanted to talk about mindset and expectations because I think that our mindsets are another one of these things that we so often believe are ingrained in us or 
that are controlling us rather than us controlling our mind and therefore keeping us stuck in loops and in patterns and in unhealthy relationships and things that don't serve us. So I appreciate that this was important to you. Yeah, this is this goes back to the unconscious programming, the 90-95% of autopilot that we're in and the beliefs we have about the world. Like um it could be just a story you tell yourself about what dating is like or about there's no good men or women out there or everybody's this way, everybody's that way. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of guys you gotta have be six feet tall, have a six pack, have six pack abs, six now figures. <laughs> and I was pointing out like it's something like 80, 85% of men on average are married by age 40. So only it's only like 10% give or take a man are over six feet tall. So these stories people tell themselves as an excuse. That's so interesting. Crutch, I never thought about that. Because I grew a, as, up with um my dad is crazy tall and also my brothers are. And so to me, I kind of I don't know. I I, I never considered that. Is it really only 10%? It's yeah, it's ten, might be fifteen, you know, fourteen, fifteen percent, but it's a very small population. I'm really glad that you're saying that because tall. this whole six feet and up thing has been driving me nuts oh, yeah. ever since I became a coach. Uh, I identified a few. So if we're going to look at our patterns, I think there's the stories you tell yourself about how you are in a relationship, right? Um, like I can't do this, or I always do this. Or I also hear, hear people saying, you know, that uh, it's it's my, it, they're not my type. What can I do? Or that's just how I am. Right. Yeah. And then the stories you tell yourself about the people you form relationships with, for instance, my type is, or I always attract or all of my past partners have. And mm-hmm. then as you were saying, what are the stories you tell yourself about dating itself? For instance, there's no good guys out there. What I mean, what do you think is something that heterosexual men would say about dating as as kind of a yeah, cliche the, or a mindset? It's the they want the, they just want an ATM. They're they just want guys who sad. they just want men who pay for things. Um, the height, like you have to be a certain height. So it's it's all crutches. Like I'm not successful because I'm not six feet tall. There, there's like a a surprising number of men looking into or having like surgery to become oh taller by breaking I cannot legs. believe you're saying this. I so actually was I the one who told you about this? I I don't know. I I because I came across an article when we were still doing our clubhouse, and it was about I think it was the an Atlantic article about a surgery that men are having that increases their height, and it is dangerous and painful and has some enormous yes. recovery time and it actually involves breaking the bone and, yes. and doing um implants yes and yes. i felt sick when i read it but there that's the actual mindset is i oh. the reason i'm not successful and i don't get laid or i don't have success with women is because i'm not tall enough and that's but that's the the mindset of kind of on the extreme end but it's um women only want guys who drive nice cars have a lot of money they they sort of see the upper echelon of the was it Dan Bilzerian and Andrew Tate and and people who you know these basketball stars are 7 feet tall they have, they're rich they have a lot of money they have nice cars and they are surrounded by women or can get any woman they want because for a lot of men that's the ideal that says you're successful as a man 
Mm-hmm. Well, I happen to know a lot of these people don't have the, ha- the happiest relationships. Yeah. <laughs> but if also, you just want a girlfriend or to date normally, you don't need to be that ideal because as you're doing that, like I, I think it's, it's that limiting belief because if you look for evidence of the opposite, go to the mall and there's where I'm at, there's like, you know, I'm, I'm just a hair under five, eight, the shoes, I'm a little bit over five, eight. Um, but I see guys, my height with women, there's, there's <laughs> women true. who are taller than their boyfriends or the husbands. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you go out and look okay. for the evidence of the opposite. And it's, it's sort of, it's easier to believe what you already believe than to accept evidence of something new that breaks yeah. your belief, whether it's about politics or the world or dating or your ability to be successful with women. But it's that belief you tell yourself that keeps you there. It's like, even on simple terms, I'm terrible with names. Nice to meet you. And you're not going to remember their name. But if you tell yourself, I'm not terrible with names, I'm going to remember this person's name. I did that like a year ago and I've been like really good about it since then. (laughs) Knock on wood. (laughs) Her name's Janice, right? Yeah. I put it in my little notepad on my phone with something that will um, remind me who the person is. And it totally works. No one's, yeah, that's a great example. But those beliefs keep us stuck. Like I can never afford to buy a house. I can never get that job. I can never quit my job and start my own business. Those are the stories we tell ourselves that keep us safe from going outside of our comfort zone and doing what we actually want. When we see people doing all of those things at all times, people are buying houses, people are quitting their jobs, starting businesses all the time. It's keeping us safe. Yeah. And when we say these things, it it allows us to not take responsibility for our own future and for making a budget and for deciding how to save and for learning about investments. Or a a lot of people say that this is just how their city is Mm -hmm. and it's just shitty to date in their particular city. No. I'm sorry. No. There are places where it is. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure, like Miami, there are some places where it actually is very difficult. There are, like New York, where the male single male female ratio is off. Once you get past a certain point, um, like New York is a good example where there's if it's sixty percent single women, forty percent single men, there are fifty percent more women. And mm-hmm. so that will change the dynamic where men can be a lot choosier and, and you have a lot less relationships, a lot more casual dating. Mm-hmm. You see this in Sex in the City. Um, a lot of college campuses where more women are going to college than men now. Um, unless you look at the like the engineering schools and things where it's reversed. In those sorts of universities, you see more relationships, less hookup culture. But in the cities where it's skewed, there's a fantastic book, Datanomics, okay. by John Berger, it talks about this, but outside of that, there is still the individual level. So if you're telling yourself, if I'm in Seattle, if only I was in LA, it would be easier. If only I was in New York, it'd be easier. And that's sort of like giving yourself an excuse to exactly not do anything because it's the city's fault. It's the everyone else's fault. But even that in keeps a city that has these crazy ratios, I still think though, if you're intentional and confident and working on yourself, that, that allows you to to stand out, for lack of a better word, yeah. and connect and those, with other intentional, conscious people who are also working on themselves. Those beliefs, that's going to be a small yeah. amount of people. Yeah, those, those beliefs, those mindsets keep you safe from having to do your own self-awareness, your own reflection, your own inventory. What could I do differently rather than just 
continuing to repeat my own patterns and everything I've been doing in the past. So how do we do this? Um, addressing and rewriting beliefs. I know this is something that you are somewhat passionate about. And I think that it's really important for us to let people know how you can begin to do this. And also, I mean, it takes time, but you can. I look back sometimes on some of the negative self-talk that I had, for instance, and I'm shocked how many years I went on doing this and how poisonous it was and how... A completely different from how I talk to myself today, but so I assure you it, it it's possible, but it takes work. Yes. Yes. There, there's a lot of literature out there, a lot of articles. I have an article and a, a guide on my website about rewriting your limiting beliefs, um, but it's basically a, a thought process, like a inventory, like we talked about before, where you take a belief, whether it's, I can't, I'm not good with names. I can't buy a house. Women only want men who are six feet tall. You take a look at that and I'll just do a few of the questions, but it's a process. But basically, are my beliefs true? Do women only want men who are six feet tall? Uh, yeah, I'm not six feet tall. I'm not getting any women. And I see those three men who are six feet tall and they have you know, women hanging around them. Okay, next question. Is there evidence to the contrary? And then that's usually where it comes in that you've been ignoring or selectively filtering out any evidence to the contrary. But you look around everywhere else, there's all these guys who are not six feet tall. They are talking to women. They have girlfriends. They have wives. They're getting married. And then what do I get out of believing this belief? This is what we just talked about. I get to feel safe and not looking at myself or taking accountability for my own growth by believing this belief because this belief is the reason why I get to com keep complaining or keep holding Holy, myself back. Yes. And that's so important to mention when it comes to mindset is that even our negative ones serve us. And that's how I was for so long is I didn't believe in myself. And it was easier for me to complain about my life rather than to take responsibility for it and learn to be self-reliant because that was something unknown and foreign to me. Whereas continuing to just live in chaos was, while it sucked, it at least felt familiar. Yes, that is that self-preservation momentum inertia in whatever you're doing, whatever your belief is, is a lot easier than changing paths and changing paths, changing your mind, changing your belief. That's outside your comfort zone. So, so the next question might be, what does believing this prevent me from gaining? So if it's, it prevents me from gaining a girlfriend, if I believe that if I'm not six feet tall and I have to go get inserts in my shoes, or I have to go break my legs and add six inch, uh, prosthetics into my bones that, that that's the only way that I can get a girlfriend. It's preventing me from a life of like happy, loving relationship that I want. And then what could I achieve if the belief wasn't holding me back? And that's the life that you could have if you take accountability for changing that belief and recognizing the other kind of evidence. So, so anyway, there, there's a few more questions in there. Again, I do have a guide on my website and I have like a separate article it's like my own limiting belief about being a divorced dad who's got lots of gray hair and two grown kids and not being very attractive. And like, that's holding me back whoa, and whoa, keeping whoa, my, whoa. my, I'm sure that you're a hot dad. <laughs> I, that, that was part of the, the limiting belief exercise. I had to go back and look at the evidence that it was not true. And wait, these are all of the scenarios or all of the instances where it was things that didn't process as as opposite because oh, I see what it, you're saying. Okay. If, yeah so so like if, if you believe you have to be six feet tall to get 
women to, to talk to women or to have a girlfriend, then you are not going to think about all of the women around you who might have been flirting with you or thought you were a good guy or could have been because in your mind it's like she would never like me because I'm not tall enough. So I'm not even going to see her in that way because why would I? It's not going to work. And so you're holding yourself back, protecting yourself from what you think is not possible. I love it. I just wanted to point out a really quick resource for people. Um, The dating app mindset is an X-Files episode back from the early days. It's episode 57. And it has lots of different reframes that you can do around online dating. And I also want to point out Brian's website, which is briancdunn.com. Yes, Brian with an I, cdunn.com. Amazing. This is so helpful. I think it would be great to just run through a list of other ways that you can adjust your mindset and beliefs and patterns before you get out and start dating too much. So do you want to run through this list with me? Yeah. And feel free to jump in if you want to add anything to these. So the first one would be a commitment to yourself to grow and to make that change. And that's why you're listening to this podcast because you want something more for your life. Um, I did this. I, when I realized that I had the quick relationship commitment, I first, I took a long break. People are really surprised when I tell them how long I didn't date or have sex. (laughs) It was a while, man, but I learned so much about myself and I promised myself that I would go slow in the future. And so when I started dating again, it was front and center with every person I met. So I, I really encourage people to write down commitments. And then those commitments can look like anything. It could be health. It could be eating. It could be career. It could be rest. It could be not dating. It could be dating when you don't feel comfortable or, or kind of getting yeah. outside your comfort zone. So whatever that is, accountable to yourself and in, in that growth. Um, Next one is getting clear on boundaries, but also being able to communicate those because it's not a boundary if the other person doesn't know it exists. Right. And if you don't know how to execute it, there's really no point. (laughs) Yeah. And and follow through. Yeah. Execute, follow through and and enforce it. Um, Getting clear on your needs, wants, desires and what you deserve. So that's through the inventory process and you realize you were not happy or you didn't feel loved or you always felt insecure about how they felt about you or they talked down to you, whatever that is, getting clear on what it is you need and want and desire out of a relationship, knowing that you deserve to feel loved and feel respected in that relationship, and then holding yourself to picking people who give that to you. Um, I love it. I, I really, I really, really, really encourage people to make actual lists here. Uh, next, taking your time when meeting new people and dating, and you covered this, but basically not rushing, not going too fast or too slow. So I, I think even taking yeah. less time, not rushing into things, because if your pattern was after two dates, you put all your eggs in their basket and were trying to be exclusive and, and act like you're in a relationship before you even know this person more than a few hours, if that pattern wasn't serving you, then take some more time. If you used to take three months to get into a relationship and giving yourself too much time and then things sort of fell apart, then go the opposite direction and be more intentional. So, Because I guess my, because my pattern is going so fast, I really encourage people to go slower, but I suppose that there are people who, you know, maybe are so scared of intimacy that they almost go so slow that they push someone away. 
Yeah. Um, I still think spreading things out in the beginning, if you are someone who's dedicated and committed to changing your habits and patterns, you must go somewhat slow because when you're caught up in the excitement of a new relationship, it's really the only way to take a look at it is if you're spending some time apart so that you can let the hormones die down and then reflect. I mean, so many people yeah. say, I was just so caught up in the moment that I didn't see the red flags. Yeah. And that's because all you were doing was thinking about the fact that you're going to see them in two days rather than thinking about how does it feel now that they're away and what do I really feel? You know, how do I really feel about how it went? And then you can stop things in their tracks if you need to, or say, I feel good about this because of these reasons and move forward. Yeah. And the opposite side is, like I said, if you go too slow, you're too comfortable in your single life, your weekends are always busy. You only have time for a date like every once every two or three weeks. And you're trying to get to know somebody, but you've only had two dates in three or four weeks. Are you giving enough time to be intentional about getting to know somebody because they want to get to know you too? So whatever your pattern is that you went through your exercise, your journaling, whatever it is, and course correcting off of that to try and find some new data, some new um, way to be. Um, next would be learning to become more securely attached. So we've talked about learning to self-soothe, not give in to the stories you're making up without the evidence from the other person, and being able to communicate needs with your partner to feel more connected, either feel more connected in between or have adequate space so you don't feel smothered, to feel safe in the relationship, whatever that looks like for you. Um, and I'm oh. starting to put together actually an entire resource list of just ways that you can learn to to self-soothe. So awesome. again, hit me up, every, anyone, if you want it, or join my Facebook group because I post files in there. And getting curious with new partners. So collecting new data through dating and expanding and rewriting your beliefs so you can discover new possibilities. We talked about your limiting beliefs and what your type might be. So getting outside of that comfort zone. And I normally go for guys or, or women who are like this, but I dated this other guy who was completely opposite and he was really cool. So there are other possibilities out there. So getting curious with those new partners. And I think asking more questions rather than just going from date to date and experience to experience, you know, asking the other person, what do you want out of this? What do you want in a partner? What's most important to you in a relationship can serve to help you make more objective, informed decisions. Definitely. It's it's those relationship values that are important. If you think about it, if you reflect, you want freedom to travel and not have kids and and go to concerts and museums all the time and somebody else wants kids and wants to settle down and buy a house in the suburbs, your long-term values may not be aligned, even if like chemistry-wise and physical attraction-wise and, and other things might be there. You need to be able to know what it is you want and, and align or not align on those. And then lastly, looking at how we cope with conflict within ourselves and in relationships. Because a lot of us, I know I used to be our conflict avoidant. Some people feel like conflict is how you feel love or feel attraction yeah. and kind of instigate it. But it's not just the conflict, but how you repair after the conflict. It's that sets you up for long-term success or failure because you, you can fight, you can have arguments, disagreements, misunderstandings, but if you still feel hurt, and it's rather than filling in and repairing afterwards, if you feel like it's chipping away at you, every argument or every misunderstanding, there's just less and less of you, less and less of your trust and love after each time. And it eventually it's gone. 
I agree. And I think a lot of people, when it really comes down to it, get stuck in unhealthy relationship patterns directly related to how they handle conflict. And that this is one area of relationships that some people feel so powerless because they just don't know how to change this. And I think if all of us learned how to handle conflict better or healthier or more effectively, that we would ultimately have better relationships. I, th I think that may come from thinking that, oh, if we're in love, everything else will work out. Yeah. And it should be easy. It shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't be work. We're, we're still human. We still, we're different people. We have different upbringings, different personalities, different moods day to day or hour to hour if you're hungry or not. I mean, there's all sorts of things. So <laughs> not everything is going to go smooth at all times. Um, we don't want the same things. We may want to eat something different for dinner, whatever it is, but being able to navigate that in a healthy way and get get over the fear of rocking the boat and upsetting the other person. You're not there to put them on a pedestal and make them happy. You're there to contribute and, and participate in a relationship with each other where your both of your needs are hopefully respected and, and prioritized together. And my top resource for everything that you just said and learning about everything that you just said is the book slash audio book, Nonviolent Communication. I reread it recently. Damn. Yes. Like I really want people to read this book. It's short and I guarantee you that it will help you problem solve in relationships and, and communicate more effectively and prevent the conflicts that lead to the devastating breakups that. Some yeah. That's, that's a really great, really great resource. I just yeah. finished a book recently as well called how to make love last by John Gottman. It's about trust and how trust wanes, why infidelity may happen, how to communicate, how to have conversations where you are being an active listener, whether it's like a normal issue that comes up in a relationship or recovering from infidelity or other sorts of things. So it's really about that communication and making love last long-term because it's not just the sex and the long walks on the beach and the kids or whatever. It is feeling that feeling of trust in the relationship and how, like I mentioned, that can be chipped away at if you don't repair properly after those things come up. That's fantastic. I haven't read it, but I know of it. And if you've read it, then I can guarantee that it's going to be one of the next books I order because I think you have the best taste in self-help books. Thank Ryan. you. Yeah. There's a, it's actually the Gottman's are great. John Gottman yeah. and, and his wife also does a lot of stuff, but the, there's some quizzes in there and just he, I think is at university of Washington, my old alma mater, um, but oh. he has like a, the love lab and they have actual couples come in and they film them. And with like a super high 80, 90% prediction rate, like accuracy, they can predict if couples will last or not based on how they engage, how they discuss, how they argue, how they repair. And so the tools he has are very, very tuned to communicating properly in a way that helps you repair and um, build that trust, keep that trust in the relationship. All right, everyone go to Amazon and, and order that now. I think or I, your local I bookshop. probably will order it. <laughs> yeah. Brian, do you have anything else to add before we um, sign off for this week? Uh, just closing thoughts. Uh, this has been a really fantastic episode. Yeah. One of the things I love to work with my clients on is 
because it's not just teaching the tools of dating and how to attract people and how to get into relationships, but so much of it starts within. And if you're not aware of what you are or how you're behaving or your unconscious patterns are causing you to show up in dating and in relationships, then you're sort of going in blind. It's like going into a race and you don't know what kind of car you're driving or how it performs. So it really starts there. And I think that's one of the biggest things to change your outcome in dating and finding relationships is that self-awareness and then acting on those lessons you've learned. Beautiful. And I guess my closing thoughts are anyone listening to this right now who is single, recovering from a breakup, just slow down. It's all going to be okay. Focus on some of what Ryan and I have shared with you today. And you're really going to be glad that you did. And I promise you that your next relationships are going to be more, more full of life and that you'll be able to show up for yourself in a brand new way. If you liked this episode, please do both of us a favor by going over to Apple and leaving me a five-star rating and review. This allows you to pay it forward. It gives me more visibility and I like to hear from my listeners. And with that, we'll see everyone next week. Thank you so much, Janice. Thank you for listening to X-Files podcast. I sincerely hope that you found today's episode inspirational or useful. I would love to support you on your healing journey. All you have to do is send me a message through the X-Files Instagram account, and I will personally be in touch to get you started. Remember, if you are struggling with a broken heart, your feelings are temporary. I am sending you so much love and luck for the week ahead. You've got this.